1: of the committee my name is Teresa lancaster i'm an attorney i'm a survivor and i'm an advocate for those abused sexually i was abused in 1970 through 1972 at archbishop keogh high school by father maskell i was featured in the documentary the keepers which exposed a huge sex ring at archbishop keogh high school i was unable Come forward about my abuse in the seventies because Father Maskell convinced me that no one would believe me and he threatened me with his gun. Almost on every session he would have the gun out on the table. I feared for my life. This is common among survivors. The support group rain supports that twenty percent of survivors fear retaliation. That is a reason for not coming forward. I struggled with the fact that the abuser was one that I trusted and he had respect of the entire community. Survivors t- typically take years to come forward. The severe nature of the trauma endured coupled with high social positions often held by the abusers prevent survivors from coming forward earlier. Other facts are depression, And substance abuse. Studies show the average age of disclosure is 52, and the reasons for the delay are specific to the individual. In 1994, when Gene and I came forward and started our civil suit, we quickly realized the institution we held our trust in would again betray us. Cardinal Keeler knew their case was credible but he used the statue of limitations to make our case go away. Betrayal of a trusted institution adds another difficult layer onto the trauma of abuse. For these reasons, I urge the committee to issue a favoring report on House Bill 974. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Jennifer Gross. I stand before you, or sit before you, a parent, a sister, a clinical social worker, a certified sex offender treatment provider, mother of two Boy Scouts, former diocesan coordinator of Safe Environments, former chair of a regional review board for the Catholic Church to review reports of clergy abuse. I am here today not to talk to you about what child sexual abuse does to the victims. You've heard that already. To stress to you that when a child is sexually abused by one person, it's devastating. That is one person that views them as trash and not as a human being worthy of dignity and respect. Far worse then is when an entire institution turns on that victim. For now it is not one person treating them with a lack of respect. Now it is hundreds. This bill before you today is not against any one institution. As previously testified by another committee member, Catholics, as far as we know, have committed only about 4% of all abuse. Shame on my church. Shame on my church for being the leading opponent to this. Shame on them. I am the direct descendant of Archbishop William Gross, who was first ordained in Baltimore. I will tell you, as a certified sex offender treatment provider who has worked in the field for 26 years, I only worked in clinical agencies that polygraphed offenders. In 18 years, I met one person They had one. One. A majority of offenders had many, some up over 900. Sitting on a regional review board of clergy offenders, I once heard... Of a man who sexually abused a four-year-old boy, his 13-year-old niece, and raped an old woman in a coma. Where is that man now? Mexico. Why? Because apparently the church finds the United States rapidly anti-redemptive. How can I still call myself a Catholic? Because this is my church too. And I will not allow it to only be represented by people. Who defend the undefensible? I am here before you to ask you today to protect my children. Raise your hand if you leave your children with no will hurt. No one. Don't do that to my children. Open this door of justice for survivors. Open this door of justice for survivors. Which in turns provides safety to our children for today. Eliminating the statute of limitation exposes predators we did not know are still among us and are a danger. Please open this door to justice and protect my children, your children, and all our children.
2: Hello. My name is David Chappelle. I'm from Ellicott City. I've been married for 17 years and we have five children. Our two sons are 13 and 11 and our daughters are nine, seven and two. We attend mass every Sunday at St. Louis St. Clark, raising our family in the Catholic. Church. I'm here today to testify in support of HB 974, which will help countless others to receive justice in court. I am proof that repressed memory is a real thing. My goal is to advocate for those who have not yet recalled their abuse. I'm 42. and last April 2019, called my abuse that happened when I was nine years old in 1986. My mind, or body, or God wasn't ready for me to re-experience the trauma until then. My recall process was slow, in months, to fully crystallized. I was extremely painful and debilitating. I was a shell of a person. I write down all my memories in this book through my therapist. This book is filled with awful memories from a lost child. I've thought of suicide numerous times over the last year. It's only because of my therapist, my medications, and the tremendous love and support from my family that I'm here to do. I've been di- diagnosed with chronic post-traumatic, post-traumatic stress disorder, but I'm so fortunate that my employer and Understanding of my needs as a person with a disability. Yes, I do now have a disability. Therapy has cost us over $10,000 in this one year alone, a huge financial strain. My abuser was Father Waylon Brown. He pled guilty and was convicted in 2018 to child abuse and rape two boys in 1987 and 1988 in Savannah, Georgia. In fact, the only reason that they could try him in 2018 was because some of the crimes occurred in South Carolina which has no statute of limitations to our prosecution. Father Brown sexually acu- abused me in 1986 in Gatenburg, Maryland at St. Rosa Lima Parish. He was at St. Luke's Institute for Rehabilitation relating to prior sexual abuse allegation. He was allowed to volunteer in my CCD classes and attended church events. He was playful, charismatic, with a friendly smile. But looking back, he was sick and sinister. He used God as a way to prey on children. Our entire community had blind faith in this man because he was a priest and he abused that privilege. Father Brown taught me special ways to pray to God, special sacraments to consume, and there was even a way you could take God directly by putting your mouth on a certain male private. I was nine years old being being abused by a priest, but to me at the time, it was a special form of One time, Father Brown even threatened me with a gun. He, I asked, why do you have a gun? He said, so I can be sure that I won't tell anybody about what was about to happen. That's when he saw to me. I blacked out from the pain, but when I woke up, he had me say the Hail Mary prayer. I could barely speak. Later that same day, he asked me to leave with him to go to Georgia. But he had to leave soon. I said, no, family just moved here. I can't go with you. It sickens me to think now what happened very next in the next months, years in Georgia and South Carolina. He did not take me to Georgia, but he took so much of my innocence. He introduced me also to another priest, who also sexually abused me in 1986. He remains in ministry to this day in Massachusetts. After a time of transition at St. Rose, a new priest, Father Duggan, was assigned to our parish, and I told him about what had happened. He did nothing. I was never abused again sexually, but my mental abuse continued when nothing happened. My brain went into survival mode. And in order to operate and function as a normal teenager and adult, my brain had to suppress the trauma that I experienced. This is my sworn testimony under oath. There are many more stories to be told. For all those who have been abused, who haven't called their abuse yet, I urge you to support HB 974. This abuse was an attack on my faith, my body, my soul, and my mind. Allowing myself to remember and relive these events had a catastrophic event on my life and my family. However, I am a survivor, and I am starting to heal. For some survivors of abuse, part of our healing process is to receive justice in court. We deserve this opportunity, because our memories are very re- regardless of when they decide to serve. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Paul Worthen. I'm the Legal Director of Child
1: Justice my organization. We are here in support of this bill and heard a favorable report. We've heard so much of powerful testimony those in the wrong So many people are still feeling the lack of justice that they're facing right now. We do urge this passage and, and the topic for forgiveness is a very interesting topic and it's a very strong, powerful issue, but it's really an individual it's not something to stick back. It's up to individuals to decide who wish to and with my own faith, forgiveness is absolutely urged, but also as a that the one must atone for their sins. I've sold half forgiveness, but still have the person be held responsible. I point to the Terry Anderson case, where he did forgive his captor, but he also sued them, judgment twenty-six dollars. So I need to keep that in mind that while he was in the forgiveness, he also was responsible for their act. So again, we urged uh, the board of his bill. Hi, I'm Karafi Myers. I'm the director of the Center for Children in Charles County, Maryland, and I've been in the field of child abuse, both victims and offenders for about 35 years. I'm going to talk to you from the tip of offender. If I'm a sex offender, I groom you. I make sure that
3: you trust me completely. I make sure I groom, if I'm a sex offender, everybody around you so that if you happen to spill the beans on me, you will, they will not believe it. If I'm a sex offender, I make sure that you think it's your fault. If I'm a sex offender, I make sure that all of the systems where I work will protect you as well. I make sure if I'm a sex offender that if I'm caught, you'll allow me to resign without you firing me for clause that would be in my record. If I'm a sex offender, I put in this wonderful evaluation if I do get caught by the people that you pay to evaluate me, what a wonderful person I am, and how I couldn't possibly have done this. If I'm a sex offender, I know what I'm doing. I pick my victims very carefully, and I go to places and institutions where I have access to lots of children who, if they tell on me, will not be believed, will be covered up, will be dismissed, and I will be protected. That's if I'm a sex offender. I know that I'm speaking to people in this room who have not come forward, probably about 10 to 15 just based on the numbers, and there's people on this panel who are in those same shoes as well. Please protect our victims, because about 5%
1: of cases are prosecuted criminally, and of the 5% that are prosecuted, 5% of
3: victims come forward to authorities as kids, and about 7% of those cases prosecution. So that is not the remedy for the victims that we're talking about. Thank you very much.
1: Madam Vice Chair, members of the committee, I'm Kathleen Hope. I'm a professor at the University of Maryland, Carey School of Law. We did submit extensive testimony that discusses some of the undercurrent legal issues that Felicia Langell, my student, testified about. So I won't reiterate those, but we do talk there about the statute pose issue, potential for false claims and why that should not be a concern here, as well as the fairness of sovereign immunity and the role that plays in our state. I want to address just two points and then make personal comment. First is why criminal prosecution is not enough, and Delegate Wilson spoke to the availability of comprehensive discovery during the civil process, and he's absolutely right. The other point is that prosecutors exercise discretion in the cases that they bring, and they have massively limited resources. So when they're faced with cases that have occurred in the last 90 days or two months or three years, maybe they're going to allocate those resources accordingly and not be able to put the resource on the investigation and gathering of evidence to prosecute a case that is decades old. It doesn't mean they don't care. It means they don't have the resources to do that work. So that's another reason criminal prosecution is not. The other issue is, again, relates to statute of repose. It really is not a statute of repose. If you're lawyers and you learned about it to study for the bar exam, come talk to me because I had to relearn it for this bill as well. The last point I want to make is that I was born, and this is personal, I was born and raised Catholic. I'm a member of the Church of the Nativity in Lutherville, Maryland. I'm extremely proud of my church and what we accomplish every day. What I've been taught since I was little is that the church is not a building. It is most certainly not a corporation. It is the people. This bill is not opposed by the people that are the church. This bill is supported, and we will always stand whether there is money left or not because we are the church. Thank you.
4: Really?
1: Christ,
5: coming to testify. In dealing with the remedy and the resources, with situation be that Claims
1: the same twenty me. Are you talking about if the state were to waive its liability? That's in the proposed amendment. I understand. So right now, the state has protection from liability under the state court claim and So there's the limitation of what you can file a claim and how much you cover. I do believe that there are amendments that support to eliminate sovereign immunity completely with respect to these claims. I haven't had time. I saw them uh, in them for the first time this morning. My point is, and if you read our testimony, there's a reason to treat the state and corporations and nonprofit organizations differently. So sovereign immunity has a strong basis in our law to protect the public risk and not uh, hate, discourage people from exercising governmental discretion. And that's very different than when we look at a corporate entity or a private entity. There is a reason to treat the state. Same thing. They're a corporation. I see nothing in the amendments or in this legislation. So, me personally, I don't see any reason to cap the damages here. Individuals still have to demonstrate what their civil damages are. And you've heard there's so many people today about what those damages may be. I don't think anyone here thinks a dollar or ten million dollars is going to cure what happened to them, but I don't think we should institute artificial limitations on their recovery. Thank you, Mr. Chair, Vice Chair, person of the committee. My name is Ken Phelps. Represent Sparrowing Committee. And though my esteemed colleague give you a lot of the facts and years, I just want to speak underscoring our strong support passage. Biases uh, and referring back uh, to testimony uh, by uh, one of your earlier panels, I would really strongly love this and also hearing. Since, as we've heard, healing takes time, and in my role as past, take the day relating stories to two that came to mind the, the pedophile scandal first years. An older gentleman in my parish, mid-sixties, came in. Couldn't even—he just went. And as he left, the only thing he would say was, i have an altar boy." Didn't tell me. And this is a gentleman I married his daughter. I eyes this, just to see that—that that was years ago. As recently as yesterday, a colleague who knew I was coming here test certainly was in. Were silent. And all she could be insane was, you know, healing takes time, but so does, so does justice. And we need to remove every barrier to allow that healing. We need to allow it to take its natural support. cannot cut off any possible victims of this abuse. We'll have it.
6: In our ongoing journey, Dissecting Real Life Mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries.
5: You're new. I'm 70 years old. My name is Frank Sintler. I live in Baltimore. When I was in kindergarten in the fall of 1904, at the age of five, I was sexually abused priest, several times a week, approximately six months. At that age, the ability to process and understand what is going on around you is limited under any circumstances, much less in circumstances that are painful and traumatic. And this abuse is being perpetrated by an individual you are told is the representative of God on earth and must be listened to and obeyed. To speak out or even acknowledge the abuse is simply un- At such times, neurological structures in the brain to shield you from those memories in part by suppressing and fragment. But those protections themselves influence and distort your life and there is no deadline or timetable how the brain operates or changes. I first came forward when I was years old. For years I struggled with the consequences of the abuse with the guilt and shame of being bad and the belief that I need hunger. I've had to deal with depression, the feeling that I was not worth much of anything no matter what I did or what I may have accomplished. I repeatedly questioned my right to life, doing things that ultimately caused me harm. And when years of therapy begin to bear fruit. When you slowly begin to remember, to understand, to come out from under the guilt and shame, you are prevented from speaking a tree by the imposition of a completely arbitrary time limit. A time limit which protects and enables the abuser and allows the Catholic Church to systematically and institutionally abrogate its responsibility to the vulnerable children placed in their care. And then I am blamed for not speaking out earlier, for not doing what was possible for me to do. Once again, I'm told it is my fault, just as I was told when I was five years old. And when all else fails, the church reduces the pervasive, institutionalized destruction of lives to simply the cost of doing business, but it's the survivor's cost. There is no statute of limitations on the consequences of sexual abuse. Sixty-five years later, I'm still struggling with those consequences. There should be no statute of limitations on the responsibility of perpetrators and those who protect. When I was a child, I was taught in the Catholic Church placed an indelible mark on your soul. Indelible. No statute of limitations. Unfortunately, in my case and countless others, the marks of membership in the Church are destructive and tragic. But even more unfortunately, they are indeed indelible. I ask you to support fairness and justice for a five-year-old. I ask you to support House Bill 974. Thank you.
1: My name is Noy Davis. I am a lawyer and the vice president of First Star Institute, a child advocacy organization. I have previously testified for this body. As an individual, I'm also a survivor of child sexual abuse. Today, I have the privilege and the honor of giving voice to two anonymous survivors. So I give you their words. The first... I blame the Archdiocese of Maryland for stealing the first 20 years of my life. Maskell, their priest, I encountered from the age of 12 till I was 17. Drugged, sex trafficked to police. He threatened to kill my parents. He had guns to my head. I told many sisters, teachers, counselors during my high school years. I reported and filed the charge in 19. The police lost the record. How do you live in this country? They all knew they protected masks. People ask, "Why did you wait?" I told many people for the years, and I have waited for my Congress to stand up with me. Please hold them accountable. Change America to stand up. The second survey. From age six to nine, I was sexually abused by my Annapolis pediatrician. Whenever I saw him, even for an earache. They always insisted on examining my genitalia with his bare hand. I told my next pediatrician what happened, but he never reported it to police. Instead, he referred me to a therapist who also never reported. Last year, I reported both pediatricians to police. As far as I can tell, nothing has come of their investigation. I've learned recently other patients and medical professionals complained about these doctors during their career but both continued practicing for 15 to 20 years after I last saw them. I live with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. I've attempted suicide three times and spent at least $67,500 on that. I urge lawmakers to pass HB 974 and those of us least able to protect ourselves. It is time to shift the burden away from victims and onto Thank you.
7: Mr. Chair, Madam Vice Chair, and members of the committee, thank you for allowing me to talk. I'm Laurel Morey, an alumna of the Key School in Annapolis, Maryland. I'd like to speak for two friends from Key who can't be here. One of them was gay and dating the science teacher when we were kids. He killed himself seven years ago. The other was the first boy I really loved. He inspired me to believe in God. He began drinking heavily in high school, then died in a drunk driving accident at 17. We think the math teacher abused him. Ten years ago again, I began asking questions. When I was a kid, most adults at he knew about the view. I have compiled a list of 14 adults involved both in the school whom I'm certain knew. The list includes a current and former teacher, department heads, a deputy head of school, the current head of development, significant donor, missions officer, two board members and president, one of whom was a medical doctor. Sorry, three board members. The board Them. Um, these institutions have the wealth and power that convinces people to be silent. Early 2018, I gave the police a list of survivors, adults who probably knew, and over, and over 20 alleged abusers. Two years, and the police haven't brought a single charge. Zilch. Meanwhile, a friend recently saw an abuser where teen girls hang out. Another lives near a school. A year ago, I saw one on West Street. One has worked with kids in Baltimore libraries. Many still teach. Five are still associated with Key. The civil justice system must step in or their names will never be public. We cannot rely on private, we cannot rely on private institutions. I told Key's investigators about four predators from my childhood. Their whitewashed report only mentioned two. They got facts wrong. They outed me as a police informant, a potential risk to me and my family. I told Key's, well, it didn't. We need to give survivors a chance to tell their stories. We must follow statute of litigation create a look-back window. Otherwise, children will remain at risk. I hope the truth will stop my friends from dying of substance abuse and suicide, because I'm sick of funerals. I urge the committee to support HB 0974. Please, just
1: do it. Chair, members of this committee, my name is Kathy Cahenia, and I'm the Public Policy Director Maryland, as well as a member of the Maryland Episcopal. Thank you. Yeah. The diocese represents a parish in the state of Maryland, and we have a thousand parishes, and we support b nine seventy four. Child abuse is a national each day in America. Our seventh eight, eighty children are born neglected five of them die as a well. result in the year 2003 million referrals made the children's service agencies throughout our country. almost a third of the investigations result in a finding that the child had mistreated or faced risk of being mistreated. sadly child abuse is a reality in our world and must be acknowledged and understood in order for us to be intentional about solving this. Someone that victimizes a child should not be able to hide behind the crime. HB 974 is about the right thing to those individuals that are traumatized for sexual abuse merely. person who was sexually assaulted as a child grows into adulthood and takes too long to report his or her abuse. The abuser escapes. civil prosecute. The perpetual Perpetuator is freed, stalking, grooming, and abusing children. HB 974 supports a access to a courthouse irrespective of when the, the crime was committed. Current laws written defends and protects Abolishing the statute of limitation of sex crimes against children will not solve the problem of child abuse overnight in our but it will arm our society the vehicle our children. The Episcopal Diocese is serious about supporting HB974, and we respect. Hi, my name is Vanessa Millio, and I'm the executive director for an organization called Domer Stolen Child, and I've spoken to many of you about this and other issues related to childhood sexual abuse. I actually just want to start by saying thanks. This is an incredibly difficult subject. To talk about, to listen to, and I really appreciate all of your willingness to be here, to stay in your seat, we to hear people tell their stories. That is unfortunately not something that they are used. I also want to thank you for passing this legislation last year. You had the institutional courage to move this out of committee. and the House had the current legislation, so I want to. I'm sorry that we have to ask you to do that again but we do, and so I hope that we can count on you to be strong for all of us in passing this bill forward. I want to take a minute and address something that has been flying around the room a little bit, and that's the money, because the money is a big Then I want to start by the number of $9 billion. That's the estimated cost in the United States of child sexual abuse. That's not my number. That's the cost that goes beyond counseling and therapy session. It speaks to lost wages speaks to health issues, speaks to long-term impact that impacts the victim, their spouse, family, co-workers, activity loss. This is not a one-person, one-and-done scenario. This is something that we all address and we all face every single. The second thing I want to talk about is options. We've heard a lot about bankruptcy today and a lot of pieces about that. I want to clarify a little bit. Pennsylvania does not have a look. The Harrisburg Archdiocese chose bankruptcy as an option preemptively. The Boy Scouts of America chose bankruptcy as an option for their organization. Institutions have choices. They can choose bankruptcy protection. They can choose to set trust. They can choose to offer counseling. They can choose Address the issues in the court. Institutions have choices. What you're hearing today is survivors asking you for the same choices. It should be the survivor's choice whether or not they want to. Play. It should be the survivor's choice while in telling their family. It should be the survivor's choice whether they're brave enough to face a criminal court. It should be the survivor's choice whether or not they're brave enough to face a civil proceeding. We're simply asking you to put the choice back in the hands of survivors for how they heal and they seek. Thank
2: you. Right. Are there questions for this panel?
1: See, thank you all. Final panel,
2: favoring the legislation: Mary Corzine, Susan Perrin, Judy Lorenz, Lisa Jordan, Joyce Lombardi, I've been in
1: the group so far so and right there
4: my name is mary corzine
1: and i'm here to provide testimony as a survivor of childhood sexual abuse in support of house bill 974 when i found the courage to come forward at last to tell a teacher multiple breeds and a therapist this is what i heard and it was devastating he is sick it's not his fault you'll feel better when you forgive him Alone belongs to God. At least you are not raped. Is it any wonder that it takes decades for survivors to come forward? I tried several times to tell my parents, but became very overwhelmed and panicked because I wasn't sure what would happen next. I didn't know the words to describe what was happening. I was in fifth grade when I was instructed to sit on the. Laugh of the abuser in a darkened room in an empty house on school property. I thought he had a stick in his pocket, repeatedly poking. He told me to wrap my arms around his neck tightly while he talked to me. When it was over, I flew outside, red faced and crying, and went to the school bathroom. My uniform was wet with an undefinable, unidentifiable white substance. I wiped it off and returned class this happened several times in the same house on school property and also in the boiler room where i was placed across the top of a child-sized desk hidden in the i told the teacher about the abuse but she never told my parents my abuser was then moved to a different parish
4: later in 1986 i learned an eighth grade boy had
1: suicide after being abused by the same priest the priest Neil Laosized at his request was working as a CYO basketball coach in the same archdiocese. He later pleaded guilty to four counts of sodomizing a minor and admitted to sexually abusing six other boys more than fifty times in the previous six years. A plea deal granted him immunity from prosecution using the other six boys. He served nine months. He is not on the Maryland offenders. It's heartbreaking to me that a person can commit repeated, constant, and calculated pedophilia in Maryland and get away with it. He is a perfect example of how abusers will continue to abuse until theirs. This bill will help to expose abusers like him and protect children in the future. Today, I'm here for them as well as myself. When victims come forward, perpetrators are exposed and children are safer. Predators depend on the statute of limitation to be able to continue to practice their compulsion. Institutions further protect abusers when they consistently demonstrate a lack of courage protecting their institution rather than its victim. There is hope for survivors, but without resources, trauma can seem insurmountable. Thank you, and please support House Bill. My name is Judy Lorens, and I am here in favor of HB 974. I'm also there to my hero, who is the last gentleman in panel two. Yeah, we've been doing this. the have been here too many times testifying before this committee on behalf of victims of child sex abuse, too many times seeing bills stuffed into drawers, not making it across the street, or passed by the house overwhelmingly only to die in the sin. legislation getting sneakily transformed into a law regarding statues who's rather than session. Extra deliberation requested last year, knowing the tie breaking senator deployed to Afghanistan the very next year, and would not be present a crucial email. There are concerns over institutions that have filed for bankruptcy in the aftermath and so extensions. I was more alarmed to see an article on the Washington Post this week focusing on Cardinal McCarrick having paid a million dollars to an order of priests whose founder was an abuser. I know of hundreds of survivors who would be far better beneficiaries of these types of funds. I got an email last night as a family support person, this was from a survivor. She said, Judy and David, I am sorry, but I just cannot do it. The last time I testified it really took a toll. And even worse, I have an update about what resulted. I have been in mediation with the Archdiocese of Baltimore for counseling costs. You know that unlimited thing they talk about, that's a farce. When I met with them, it was right after my testimony last year, and they said they were well aware of who I was. I recounted to them my story, as painful and embarrassing as it was, and gave them the receipts, over ten thousand dollars in counseling payments I had made in the eighteen months prior, at two hundred dollars an hour with a doctor specialist in adult survivor issues. And this does not include the tens of thousands I had previous The Archdiocese offered me a of which the attorney wrote. No future visit support, unless of course I wanted to go to a priest. An unconscionable insult. They said they're worried too many survivors will home. I declined any payment from them, accepted nothing, and continued counseling out of my own. If anyone is willing to read this, I'm fine with it. I just cannot do it myself. And that was from Gloria Larkin. As a family support person, I have heard the horrors of family members dealing with their loved ones' addictions, divorces, mental illness, and today, my God. Again, every time I come here, I'm more surprised than horror with what is being said. Because these people are speaking the truth. That's a rare thing in our country today. What is it going to take to make Maryland, Sancho, New York, New Jersey, where, and other states who have already passed this type of legislation this experience? None of us wants to be here telling our stories over and over, but we will until you have done it enough. I appreciate the courage that this body demonstrated last year in passing the bill despite the intensive lobbying which you will get. I respect you, I that you do the same and urge your
3: colleagues in the Senate to do that same. Thank you so much. Good afternoon. My name is Susan Karen and I represent Maryland Catholics for Action. We're a coalition of Catholics for lay people, priests, women's religious, and even postulates who support victims' rights related to the clergy, sex abuse scandal. Our leadership has abandoned our injured brothers and sisters. Our leaders have not provided the transparency and accountability necessary to ensure that these criminal acts. In my written testimony, I provide uh, references to two polls that were done in 2019 on U.S. Catholics. One was in The Economist and one was a Gallup. Poll. And they said the same thing. 30 to 35 percent of U.S. Catholics personally questioning whether to remain Catholic because of a scandal and have unfavorable views of our leadership. It's important to know that these polls may actually be underestimating laity concern. This is because most Catholics have no idea what our church institutions are doing behind the scenes in terms of spending money and lobbying resources work bills like the Hidden Reporters Act. Our leaders often share their legislative priorities on the pulpit and bulletins and flock note, but I've never heard anybody publicly challenge the HPA, though I've heard privately. As an ally group, we have heard victims share with us the stigmatizing response they have received not being believed, judged, or dismissed or hearing magnificent statements from the church hierarchy, which never materialize into substance The cost burden of the crime lies predominantly on the victim, and if it doesn't pass this year, they will continue to pay. Anyone who is Catholic should regard this scandal as an existential issue. We are facing moral bankruptcy. The laity are the treasures of the church. We provide the financial office stories and the hundreds of thousands of hours in charitable work. Our voices should be heard just as much as the brother bishops. I hope that you will support H.P. 970.
1: Good afternoon, Mr. Chairman, Madam Vice Chair. I'm Lisa C. Jordan with the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault. been testifying in favor of bills like this for a decade. We are here this year in favor of House Bill 974. There's really nothing I can say that's going to be more compelling to the voices that you've already I do want to thank Delegate Wilson and Patton for moving the ball forward. I'd also like to point to Delegate Menace, who I'm sure is on your wall. And thank Delegate Petzold and Senator Kelly and Senator Young and then Delegate Anthony Brown and every single one of you for voting last year in favor of this bill. This is something that would eliminate the statute. So these people don't have to continually come back and have the pain telling you their stories over again, only to have the state of Maryland simply fail to do very much. Certainly, you've passed bills in the past that have moved the ball forward, but this is a significant, important system. So it is fundamental here your responsibilities here as legislators. So for those reasons, and mainly for the reason the survivors and their voices that you've just heard, the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault urges a favorable report on House Bill 9.
4: Mr. Chair, members of the committee, Joyce Lombardi, from the More Child Abuse Center, will only raise one point that hasn't been raised by everyone else that you've heard today, and that is that in the 16 states that have looked back windows, we hear this, and some of your colleagues might be talking about this, the bankruptcy, floodgate, heard that in the years that Information from Child USA, in Georgia, there were, in Utah, I'm sorry, there were four claims. After their look back window in Delaware, there are 1,175, 1,000 of which were again, one. And so we know that very few survivors actually want to access the criminal or the civil justice system. Billing takes many forms. Once a, all this bill is asking you to do is provide those people access. And then once you're in the courts, then memories, then they have to deal with the evidence, spades, die, that's it. And so this is simply for those few parades forward. All you're doing is allowing them to comply.
1: Thank you. Questions, delegate he Mr. Chair a list for the attorney under the statute scheme as it is, you were were would be sovereign way I understand that there are additional amendments regarding that and I've not seen those
4: no, I haven't seen the amendments, but my understanding is that the bill before you did not a sovereign and so the bill before you, the amendments did.
1: And do you understand the idea behind the amendment? as with, dele- with delegates hearing
6: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales, but amidst the shadows it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Fowl today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot slash Fowl, F-O-U-L.
1: We're looking forward to reviewing it I'm sure, I appreciate your interest and support. Are there further questions? It's the testimony in favor of the legislature. Where the there are people signed up to testify opposed to I will say that here we hear their testimony. It is five. Here with us today, five or six bills, but I just want to put that out, put that out there. Committee Opposition, Gary Silverman,
2: Minor Carter.
1: My, friend, my name is Minor Carter. I represent the American Property Insurance Association. probably should have thought they
5: were with amendments. Our issue is solely insurance. As people have talked about monetary rewards, we all know in many cases that incident or uh, never happened except or that is expanded because of presence of shorts money. And we'd like to work with the committee to resolve.
1: Okay, Would it finding us favorable with amendments? now? I should have said that. I'm this way. The accident. But I was told to
2: come to and do it. Well, by the time I snuck up, I realized. And my testimony, we're not against the input of the bill, we're against the. Include. Sure. By that time, the time I thought about what I was going to do was not the first time I went. Sir, go Good afternoon,
1: Mr. Chairman, Vice Chair, members. Of- my name is Kerry Solberman. I'm here today on behalf of the uh, Import Reform Association organization, a national organization that represents businesses, associations, and municipalities here in Columbia. I'm an American of a Maryland resident bar. I'm here today to express some concern. Before I, I get into to, I do want to express appreciation for your consideration of this very difficult issue. All of the people that have
5: testified on this, this topic to see here our issue is really with precedent this sense, type of
1: approach that's taking it's not with extending the statute of limitations to whatever a reasonable level in view of the committee it's with the approach that's taken that is an approach that we haven't seen ever before in maryland um that's an approach that eliminates the statute of limitations entirely completely for a type of civil claim we have not seen that it's an approach that revives time barred claims. That's an approach we're seeing here. Anymore, and it's concerning
5: to us because it sets a precedent for other types of civil actions. Statutes of limitations may be viewed as arbitrary. They may be viewed as unfair to individuals. And in fact, they are because they take away a viable claim. But it's
1: very, it serves a very important purpose. And that purpose is making sure that judges and
5: juries can decide cases about liability on the best evidence available. They can decide cases involving millions of dollars in damages when there are witnesses that are still around, when there are documents that have been discarded and to make those types of decisions accordingly. I've monitored this issue and testified in many other states. I'd be happy to answer your questions on whether other states have done on this issue. But the sum up of it is most states have not taken this. Many times, and both states had like Maryland, has, effectively extended the statute of limitations to a finite.
1: Delegate Fisher, further questions to the gentleman who spoke in the court, bar in tort Thank you, Maryland Port I think it would be fair to say, though, that even though this would be a unique precedent in Maryland that the type of victim in this is one of the most class as it's caring for use children versus any other kind of civil claim that looking at Marilyn wouldn't be on such a vulnerable and then also it
5: is a special place, but
1: I know in my practice and I don't represent anyone in this situation but in my practice we deal with liability actions we develop cancer as a result of exposure to a hard substance many years later we deal with people who may there may be who are assaulted in a, you know, that those are also kind of court claims people maimed in the workplace by product there's all the tort law deals with people don't sue for little injuries. they sue for terrible injuries so there will be cases, and we're already seeing in other states, expansions of these types of laws beyond child sexual abuse to other types. I guess I would say, even the examples that you've made this body, and uh, no one can put the body across probably across the street, but I would say that even in that, very different. Product liability issues, like they didn't know that was going to harm someone, is not dealing with not only minors, which is, is such a uh, state interest to protect and they are dealing with something like that is sexual abuse and or rape which is something that you knowingly know that's are going to injure cause harm and be detrimental and I I still believe that you can very much distinct this bill for the claim of saying that for civil claims in the future it's going to be a foregate of an example that we're going to let is all the statute for other civil claims I do think that bearing March, I think all the lawyers on the committee, you know. Delegates Conaway called us. Test. The first question is, what is the problem with the insurance? It's a constant problem when you have a step beyond the limitations.
5: And we already have a problem. There's a constant problem of false claims because of the insurance because you see the insurance company, you hope they're going to settle
1: to get playing, and there—that's a prevalent problem in insurance. Yeah. This would open another false flag to the second gentleman that spoke, I think, in my mind, for me, because you see, there's no other precedent on some statue of limitation in Maryland. But what I heard in the testimony. Sleep so he talked about say this the murder of a child soul first person that there's something that's gonna change them. So when you talk about a statue of limitation, this person change, but I don't think there's any limit. I understand and
5: have a lot of sympathy in this situation. I think in some of the other types of cases that talk about, there are people
1: with lifelong injuries, they could also say will be harmed every day that they wake up from Delegate McComas.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chair. I've been looking at this a little differently because basically the The individual doesn't able to put the picture together to realize that they've really been abused until we're saying 52. And so there are different mechanisms within the law where the statute of limitations is told or suspended until the person discovers that they've been abused or not abused, but have been injured. Okay, or the person, let's say they get hit on the head and they've been unconscious for X years and then all of a sudden they wake up and they real put it all together and then they would be allowed to sue because they were disabled before. So this isn't quite that unique in that sense because of that. And then you couple, I'll finish this and then I wish you to comment. Then you have, you have the situation where you're dealing with a vulnerable class, children, and they might be threatened with a gun or they say, we're, we're going to, we're going to kill your pet, we're gonna kill your brothers and sisters, or kill your parents if you say anything. So there's this duress, and so they don't have. Finally, when they 52, and they like, okay, the person's not around anymore, or they realize that they can't kill their parents, or things like that. but the light bulb goes on. So, in a sense, it's not necessarily really upending the tort system; it's just modifying it for a rather unique situation. So, would you comment on
1: it? Sure, the tort system does have some mechanisms already in place try to provide extra time for people in
5: different circumstances. Obviously, when injury is to a child, the statute of limitations doesn't run an adult at least. There's also, in some cases, a common law discovery rule recognized by the court that give additional time to a person who didn't
1: know they were injured or something, or harmed by a malpractice or whatever,
5: and they don't realize until years later that they know they then the statute of limitations will not start to run until they discover. There's also a positive Maryland law on this, but there's usually tolling for fraudulent concealment in a case where a defendant makes it so that whoever was injured
1: does not know the injury. And if they intentionally do, that would also toll the stack. So there are all those types of mechanisms that are already in place here in other states that are available. They're narrow.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. That's for Mr. Jillorman, following up on Elliot McComas' question. In these cases, so often uh, a child could
2: be five or six years old, become much older, memory suppressed, they can wear counseling. It could be a young child that's nonverbal. They get older, they become verbal, they discuss it. If you're saying there's mechanisms in place to protect these individuals, I guess what is the harm in then allowing this to be codified to open
5: that window up for people that either Needed to build the courage up, finally realize what happened to them, and so on and so forth to get them the justice they deserve.
1: Patrick's position on this is just that any statute of are finite, not unlimited to spill. And so there was a number, was in, was a higher number. I don't think that. It, and the second is that changes in statute shouldn't provide. Because when that happens, Organizations are judged today based on standards of what we now expect rather was known at the time. They may not have purchased insurance at that time to cover the claims that they're now going to face. They may not have saved the records of them long ago because they didn't realize they could possibly be subject to suit years later. And, and they may not even know if they had any it. So that's concern with the retroactive. In terms of having more time, I don't think actually would have any issue with having a longer period of time or discovering how to find doing your finite. Question for, you, for your failure watson. Thank you, Mr.
5: Chairman. I am one of the few members of this committee who is not so I appreciate all the words. But my question is the gentleman talk about
1: trauma. So. But
5: what really struck me is that one of the ladies who testified said they tried to do the suicide. So my question, being an attorney, if she would have been successful committing suicide, would her family have been, been able to sue for the murder since murder does not have a statute of limitation? Family wouldn't be prosecuted.
1: They would be able to. They might be able to to rump. They, I believe, the statute of limitations is Maryland, on a wrongful death is five and three or years,
5: person. So it would take a really skilled attorney to be able to link that suicide directly to the trauma inflicted on that person, possibly thirty years earlier. You think? Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Real quickly, I think one of you mentioned the best evidence rule, and that would be one of your concerns. Would you, would you
1: be supportive of a, a limitation, not a statute of pros, but a limitation that would say, perchance, the life and being of the perpetrator,
5: plus a certain amount of time after, so like 20 years, then a reasonable amount of time to be able to obtain? evidence that may be readily available
1: you said that the lifetime of the perpetrator has Correct. a statute of limitations Correct. that's an interesting approach it's not one that i've seen for or considered that was considered it does establish a time frame and it does at least mean you have a witness there, perpetrator
5: call and trial so i it would be something we have to consider position that can express on it but it does appear to provide
1: a limit further
2: questions from panel seeing thank you all very much that concludes the testimony on house bill 974